What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush. We got Maddie back in the house. Well, not in my house. Uh, You're in your house. (laughs) We're being safe. I like it, that room, man. It's very warm. It looks like super cozy. Oh, it is pretty great. It's got all of my uh, dorky things going on back here, all my video games and board games and music stuff. Uh, Your lighting is nice. Oh, yeah. And there's a Mayan calendar back there, too, which, you <laughs> know, just is. in case you need one. <laughs> Wait, I thought the world ended. Hold on. Wait a minute. I know. We're still going somehow, but it's 2020, so we're not far away. Well, welcome back to the show, brother. Uh, it's been Thanks, a while. Man. It's funny. When we went into lockdown, I sort of got into a rotation of people, and then something was missing, and it was you. <laughs> Oh, stop it. I'm not sure what happened. I, it just sort of fell off my radar. And then I was like, wait a minute, Maddie, what happened? We were we were on a roll there. It's all good, man. It, you know, we, we really milked 1999 for all that it was worth. Actually, that's not true. There's so many other movies Yeah, we'll there. go back there. But uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely, I missed it a lot, hanging out with you mostly, but uh, also just getting to talk about a movie like for a, a while. I don't do that ever. Yeah. Nobody talks with me about movies except for you. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're back in the rotation. So uh, we decided, or you decided, to jump back to 1991 yes. uh, for a, a movie that I loved and love uh, called The Fisher King oh. from director Terry Gilliam. Um, he did not write this one, though. I think this is the first 
movie that he did not write that he directed, right? Yeah, it was written by Richard LaGravance. I don't know how to say it correctly. Um, an excellent writer, just prolific. Wrote Parisia Tem, The Horse Whisperer, a bunch of other movies that you know about. Yeah, he's, um, it's funny. I looked him up because I'd never heard of him. And I was trying to think of a way to describe his career without sounding like an insult. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> but you know all those movies over the years that are big movies that you know, but are sort of just, uh, they're kind of nondescript in that there's not, because he's directed some of these too, mm -hmm. uh, but nondescript in that he's one of these directors, it seems like, and writer that just sort of writes movies. And it's not yeah. like this has a real Richard uh, Lagrevenez <laughs> feel to it. But there are just a lot of big movies in here. Living Out Loud, The Ref, Unstrung yeah. Heroes. He wrote Bridges of Madison County, The Mirror Has Two Faces, mm -hmm. Beloved. Freedom Writers, I think. Yeah, Water for Elephants. Uh, I mean, these are all like big, big. He's had a huge career because I was like, when I first saw his name, I was like, oh, I bet you he's one of these guys that wrote one movie. That yeah. he, and and then went away, <laughs> but that is just not true at all. But he, the fact that he wrote all those movies and then he wrote this movie, yeah. Like think about the difference between the Fisher King and all those other movies that we mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a I think a romantic comedy line that kind of goes through there, and and the drama kind of mixing. Um, but overall, the the whimsy that exists within this screenplay, yeah. I want to say, is brought heavily by Gilliam, right? It, it feels but, that way for sure. Because um, you know, you, you, I, I hope everyone listening is familiar with Terry Gilliam. But of my course. goodness, the the uh, imagination that exists within that man's head, um, yeah, is just glorious to behold on screen. And it, it's there's no exception here with the Fisher King. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the other thing about the the writer, um, he he strikes me as someone. And looking at his his list of credits, as a screenwriter who really just is so solid with that Hollywood form, which is mm -hmm. to say, Act One, Act Two, Act Three. Yeah, thirty minutes you get your plot point. 90 minutes or, you know, depending on how long your movie and you get your second plot point, mm -hmm. you've got the characters overcoming adversity and gaining redemption and overcoming the obstacles. I mean, it's in the best way it is as true to the Hollywood sort of uh, tropey script form that, that you can imagine. And, and I've talked about it before, but that's a, a tried and true thing because almost just because it is like people are conditioned to see movies this way. And that's why when movies don't do it, they're seen as sort of avant-garde or really sort of arty. But yeah. th this is right down the middle, the Fisher King, as far as just being a great story of characters, redemption, love. It really hits all yep. the notes really, really well. The hero's journey is strong with this one. Very and, strong. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's in fact doubled. Like It is. And that was one of the criticisms that Roger Ebert, he only gave this two stars. And uh, he was sort of like, oh, he just throws the kitchen sink in there. We have two redemption stories and two love stories. And I was like, yeah, but it's it's great. Yeah. They mirror each other in these beautiful ways. I agree. Um, when you're, you're thinking about, um, let, well, let's just say Jack, the, uh -huh. I guess the main character, traditional main character that exists within this story, um, played by Jeff Bridges, and then Perry, 
the I guess the the secondary in in a way, but mm-hmm. also the kind of the most important character in a lot of ways. They're really played by Robin Williams, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and yeah. to, just like the acting in this movie. I think each of oh. them was nominated for an Oscar. Mercedes Rule uh, won the Oscar. Uh, oh, very deservedly. Dude. She's so good in this. <laughs> dude, Mercedes. Isn't she great? Like, yeah, and I I hate to admit this, but it's not that I didn't remember her in that role. It's just I think when I was originally watching this role, I was so obsessed with Robin Williams. Yeah. And I was watching it for Robin Williams. Same here. And um, I guess just with, with a little bit of time and age, you see all of these parts, including Amy uh, Amanda Plummer. Yeah. Oh my God. As as Lydia, like all of them together as an ensemble, mm-hmm. just knocked it out of the park. Some yeah. of the scenes, some of the scenes with with Mercedes and Jack, or sorry, Mercedes Mercedes and Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Um, the two of them together just, um, there were just they're like sparks. There's there's such a connection there. Yeah. You know, the chemistry yeah. is it's real. Yeah, their relationship was so upsetting at times especially watching yeah. it as an older guy because mm-hmm. um, like you said i think when i first saw this movie and i saw it quite a few times back then i was in college i think uh, like my second year in college and then watched it quite a few times on video just because i loved it so much but uh and it was all about robin williams and of course i love jeff bridges and mm-hmm. i thought mercedes rule i was like man she's a, a hot older woman yeah you know and, and like yeah. those leopard hot pants and she's in her 40s and i was like 20 20 years old yeah. But now that I'm a little older, it's just their relationship was so sad to me because although it mm. works out in a really sweet way, she was so willing to accept so little from him as a partner. And the only way she could get him was as damaged goods. And uh, and you see how cruelly he leaves her when he starts to get his life back together. And man, that stuff just hit me right in the gut this viewing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and just the immediacy at which he decided to leave her after things started on a slight uptick for his life. Yeah, he's out yeah, of there like so quickly. But again, like let's I don't want to get too far ahead, Chuck, because I just I guess let's establish that character of Jack. Yeah. There's some interesting things going on just in our lives reflected with with Jack. Um not not saying that we are we have the same qualities that he does and right. the flaws that that character has, but we're not shock just, jocks. <laughs> no, we're not shock jocks, but we are broadcasters. Yeah, and um, you know, we just starting out with hit the road, Jack playing right. Um, that's the way this movie begins. Hit hit the road, Jack. Uh, don't you come back no more. Ray Charles and the Raylettes are are just rocking out. Yeah, and it's him in the studio as Jack Lucas, this rock jock, and he is, they just hit you with it immediately in the beginning. Yeah, such a great um, setup. Mm-hmm. They give you his character, everything you need to know, just by showing him in his environment. Yeah, and, without showing his face, though, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yes. Oh, it was really cool. Yeah. just and, and it really mirrors a big theme in this, or at least for Jack personally, the concept of the face that's, always heard but never seen yeah and how badly he wants this tv show Uh so he can be a face and a voice yeah which harry shearer Uh, later gets (laughs) yeah it's it's a very cool little cameo (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly he wants to be what what was it called on the air i think is the the fake 
Forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny stuff. But yeah, the way they set it up is so clean. And I always talk about efficiency of setup. And in the first like five minutes, you know exactly who this guy is. Mm -hmm. And you get that great um, uh, movie tragedy that happens uh, where his life is turned upside down. And then we later learn, you know, obviously many other people's lives are turned upside down. Oh, yeah. With that mass I mean, shooting, which at the time was, I remember seeing this in 1991, and it was just unfathomable that somebody would walk into a restaurant and shoot people up. And it's so sad now that that's, you know, commonplace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I was, I guess, around eight when this movie came out. Yeah, what was your history uh, with it? <laughs> when did you see I didn't, this? I didn't see it for a long time. Um Gosh, it was it was around the time I was watching all these movies in high school, uh-huh. um, like all the ones that we've been talking about on this show prior to this, uh, and I was just really getting into movies. But I was always into Robin Williams. I think it was Aladdin for me that got me there, yeah. and my dad made me watch Good Morning Vietnam mm-hmm. early on. Good movie, and, and then I just like just stuck with everything. I watched anything and everything that he was in. Yeah, people that uh, Robin Williams haters, I just. I don't know. Get away from me. They creep Wait, me those out. Ex- those exist? <laughs> yeah, there are some Robin Williams haters that kind of thought he overdid it and overacted. And oh. I, I just I just thought he was a treasure and like, what a great, great man. Uh, my brother worked with him on just one day as an AD on a job he was in. And he just had chatted him up for like two minutes at the craft service tables. The only interaction he ever had with him. And he was just the kindest, sweet, sweetest sweetheart of a guy from what everyone mm. has said. I miss well, him so much. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, me too, dude. It's brutally um, sad what happened. Uh, oh, there's so many things I want to talk about. I feel like it feel like <laughs> it's a good transition. There's so many other things to connect that maybe you don't know about if you're listening to this. But I would just say if you haven't watched Fisher King and you are listening to this, do yourself a favor. It's on Amazon Prime right now. If you yeah. have Amazon Prime uh-huh. and you get Showtime, you get a free trial and watch it right now. Yeah, or I think it already... may be on Hulu as well, but I, I watched it mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. Yeah, uh, just do it and then maybe yeah. come back here. Um, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> there, just speaking about um, memories of Robin Williams and some of the scenes that he gives to us in this in this movie. Yeah, um, I teared up so many times and it was just watching him and remembering that he's gone but also watching him on screen I don't know it was a very emotional thing for me there's the scene where uh where the the two couples Mm -hmm. Perry Perry and Lydia Jack and Ann are at the Chinese restaurant such a great 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 scene (laughs) just the whole I mean this whole scene is great yeah um I guess, can we, do you mind if we just talk about the one really quickly? No, man. Jumping over all this other stuff? No, we're going to jump all around. It's all good. Okay. So, first of all, all of a sudden, there are wipe, wipe transitions. Yeah. Like, all all of a sudden in the movie, (laughs) wipe transitions occur. It's sort of jarring. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like they just got coverage of that wide shot of the table and they just wanted to show, it's almost like that to me, like the, the direction and the editor they were just like, well, let's just like cut around a little more and let's just stay here. You never or know, maybe- man. They may have had that 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 location for like two hours or something, you know? Exactly. But but they they really pulled it off just showing 
the uh, the mirroring that Perry's character is doing mm-hmm. to Lydia whenever she's be- being clumsy yeah. with the china and the glass and the dumplings and everything, and he's just mirroring her. I know. To- as an attempt to make her feel less uncomfortable. I know. It's so goddamn sweet. I know. It really is. And uh, they're showing you all of this through this series of transitions and cuts there. And then there's a moment. I can't remember if Perry begins singing first or if we get this. I can't remember if they if he sings first or you get this moment with mm-hmm. Jack and Anne. But there's a moment where... Anne is kind of just watching them interact and is so amused by what they're doing. Yeah. And she kind of glances over at Jack and notices that her red bra is slightly down on her arm. Uh Uh-huh. Just slightly down on her arm. Yeah. And she like, you know, glances at Jack and pulls it up. And then Jack kind of just reaches over his finger and just pulls it back down. It's such a great little moment. And just gives her a kiss on the arm, and they just—I mean, the the sweetness that existed there that was yeah. so genuine—made um, me so happy. But it was also this tremendously like sensual, like beautiful thing, like that—that mm-hmm. that a moment that I think I've experienced before, and almost very, very similarly, um, and maybe a lot of us have, where there's just—it's a hint of of sexuality expressed between them, but yeah. it's mostly just this um it's it's expressing love without saying i love you yeah from jack to Anne. yeah which he um, you know doesn't say until the end so it was very meaningful exactly it's so meaningful and at the same time while all that's happening you've got perry expressing his just happiness to be around lydia by yeah. singing that song oh, lydia <laughs> lydia the tattooed lady so yeah. great and it's and it's kind of a raunchy song, uh-huh. but the way he's singing it is so it's beautiful. Yeah. And as the music that score swells in to fill in the the rest of the song while he's singing, yeah. And the camera is pulling back, and you see all of the employees there in the Chinese restaurant that are clearly and, there after hours. Yeah, and that beautiful like when you finally pull back, you. Like it's a beautiful shot anyway, but mm-hmm. that the 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 lighting and just that that set and that frame is so gorgeous, um, oh. just so vibrant with colors and there's so much great color in this movie. That that whole sequence is just off the charts. That date from the beginning in the apartment where they're trying to get Perry ready and yeah. he's just like an animal <laughs> at that table, like trying to look down her dress and <laughs> standing up on the table, like you're too good of a woman to go to waste. <laughs> All the way through the date itself and how nervous he is to uh, post-date when Jack and Anne are just riding high and it's so in love. And Perry and uh, Lydia have that heartbreaking scene where she tells him how bad it's going to go. Yep. And he gets that first kiss anyway. And then the PTSD meltdown. Immediately. I mean, that that's the sequence of the movie, I think, you know? Yeah. Oh, it really is. Um. And it's it's a big theme of the movie, achieving, finally achieving what you think you want, what you think you need, um, and then something coming through and telling you that you can't have it, or yeah. it's out it's out of reach, or that's not what you need. Um, even though it is true, it's what Perry, it's it is what Perry needs: companionship, mm-hmm. uh, someone 
who will be who will function with him, uh, not for him or not someone that he's functioning for, um, in the same way that the relationship he had with his wife, right? Um, that we only get to see a sliver of. We only get to see a tiny sliver of Perry and his his wife. Who, that brutal scene. Yeah, the flashback. Died. Yeah, yeah, because he he's not allowed to have this stuff because of what he went through. His his. PTSD, like his legit mental illness. And that comes out later when uh, about sort of not having permission to to feel a certain way when he finally comes out of the coma at the end in his catatonic state. And uh, he asked, and God, that scene is so great. Yeah. But he asked Jack if he can miss her now. Dude. And that's another thing, like giving himself permission to miss her. it was just so powerful. Well, so I great. wrote it down. Yeah, um, he got the, the the quote. He said, "He yeah he, his hands are are clasped on this trophy that he yeah. believes is the Holy Grail, and he's still comatose. And then his hands like s- slowly start to move up, yeah. and oh, he physically realizes what it is before he mentally does. And then he wakes up. Uh-huh. Jack Jack is passed out, kind of laying across him a little bit." Um, and he just sits up and he says, I had this dream, Jack. I was married. I was married to this beautiful woman and you were there too. I really miss her, Jack. Is that okay? Can I miss her now? Ugh, Jesus. Thank you. And he goes away. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, ah, ah. Don't you cry, Matt. Don't you do it. (laughs) No, I'm not going to. I will not cry. Yeah, the way they played that out, though, was so great. Like, Jeff Bridges not acknowledging, because he just lays motionless, but his eyes are open, and that, like, single tear comes down. Uh, Just such a heartwarming and tragic movie all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love it so much. Well, it mirrors what they provide to each other, because there's there's the moment in that same bed where, like, right before this, before Jack goes and gets the grail. Yeah, where yelling at him. Well, yeah, he's yelling at him, but he's he is, I think, more so pouring his heart out to him, saying yeah. like, especially what he where he comes to with it. Like, if I if I do this, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it because I feel guilty or responsible in some way. If I do this, I'm doing it because I want to do it for you. That's, that's all for you. Yeah, that's and that's the change that mm-hmm. needs to happen for him to be redeemed because. He he runs the gamut from ignoring this guy to realizing who he is to oh. trying to literally pay him off and buy him out. Like that will work. And he's trying to like it, it takes him that that long in the movie to realize that you gotta do the work. Yes. And it's gotta be for the right reasons. You can't buy him off. You can't buy your way out of this. You can't uh you can't absolve your guilt. No, you're right. You're it has absolutely. to be a selfless act, and that selfless mm-hmm. act is breaking into the <laughs> Carmichael's house, Park Avenue Armory, <laughs> which uh, somehow I've never gone to that building in New York. And next time I go to New York, I'm going there immediately oh. and like taking pictures of me in front of it. Do you think we'll ever go to New York again? Yeah, I hope so. We, we will, Matt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, it, I was cracking up the whole time you were talking because of just the concept of. Jack trying to buy out Perry's um, 
the, the guilt that he mm-hmm. feels towards Perry. The moment when he gives Perry 50 bucks and then a 20 on top of yeah, it. Yeah, $70. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then Perry immediately turns around and there's a guy with a shopping cart <laughs> and so he's great. saying, sell, sell, yeah. sell. He's got a phone and Perry comes up, hands him the money and he goes, buy, buy, buy. <laughs> yeah, that moment is great because, uh, you know, Jack sees oh. it and I was giving you the money. I was giving you the money. And it's it's a lesson that he doesn't even pick up on. But Perry's giving him a lesson right there. Yep. And he, they yeah. he gives so many lessons through the movie. Um, of, uh, And I think that's what I love about this character and made me miss Robin Williams even more is that there was something very Robin Williams about it, especially mm-hmm. once you know that he suffered through Louis body dementia and depression yeah. and took his own life. Like Perry is a, is a, is a wreck of a human, but he's still trying to like put goodness into the world. Yeah. Uh, he emanates or he emits goodness yeah. and he does it without maybe even do, intentionally doing it. It feels that way. He's just the way he reacts to things, the thoughts that he has about uh, any situation that he finds himself in. He just appears to be doing the right thing. And in a weird way, uh, perhaps the way we imagine a knight would, mm-hmm. you know, like really he's the a chivalrous human that is there to protect, to help, to, you know, save people. Um, he really does act that way. Yeah. And, and the way he loves Lydia without mm-hmm. even knowing her is the way that Jack should love Anne. Like, again, he's like tr- this lesson right in front of Jack's face. That he, he, you know, he follows Lydia around and, and just yeah. revels in every small little thing she does from eating the dumplings wrong to mm-hmm. buying the trashy romance novel and getting swept up in the revolving door. And yeah. it's like right there in front of Jack's face the whole time. Yeah, it really is. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure, To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee. Sounds perfect.
But Chuck, we have to talk about this. Isn't it a little creepy the well, way Perry's <laughs> character goes after uh, Lydia? No, I mean, my note here says, you know, he's basically stalking her. But, uh, you know, you can't look at it through that lens. It's it's a sweet romantic gesture. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I wrote a note of that when... When they're having this tender moment after the date, when they're there at the stoop. And he's and like, I've been following you. <laughs> he's, he describes her entire life and routine, uh-huh. everything about her. And she's looking at him and you can see in her eyes like, what? Uh, really? You're watching me do all of that? And it is creepy for a moment. You feel that it's creepy and you realize it's creepy. But for me, again, I think it's the performances as well here where you can see that what it really means is that he knows her better than anyone on this on this planet, mm-hmm. even better than herself, perhaps. And like you said, he adores every little part of it. Somehow, for some reason, he adores all of these little eccentricities that she has. Yeah. And and I really do think in, in some philosophical level, that is where where in true love lies. Like the acceptance of flaws the oh, yeah man almost the almost the it's more than appreciation of them it's uh, a fascination with the flaws or something like that i don't know i can't i haven't put my finger on this whole love thing guys but uh <laughs> it, it, there's something to it that yeah that exists right there well hmm. and even you know these are superficial little flaws uh like real human flaws yeah that's why people couple up you know because going through life is very hard alone and uh, yeah. two people that are messed up in their own unique ways can come together and, and ideally uh, lift each other up and help each other out. Well, and that's why Jack and Ann is so important. So right. you've, that's why, you know, I'd love to talk to Roger Ebert about that. Like that's why these two storylines are so important. It's showing you different totally. kinds of love and affection and problems within relationships and how those are navigated in, incorrectly most of the time. Uh-huh. But then, you know, with with time and communication, you can fix a lot of that, almost all of that. Yeah, I mean, they're saving um, each other throughout the whole movie. They're yeah. alternating sort of saving each other. Jeff Bridges is trying to save Perry uh, because he's trying to save himself. But Perry this whole time is just sending up just like big, yes. like, hey, this is how you should be. Yes. You've got this great woman. You can't buy your way out. And Jeff Bridges even says, Jack says at one point, I just wish there was some way I could pay the fine and go home. Yeah. And that's, that's that character in a nutshell. He wants the easy way out. uh, And and he can't, life doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's true. But I, you know, I can also, I can also very much identify with that feeling of just wishing there was some there was something I could do or series of things I could do yeah. to make myself not feel so bad about something. Yeah. <laughs> um uh I definitely identify with that. But but you know, yeah, it's yeah, man, this the philosophy of this movie and the symbols it uses to tell to get us to some of these answers, I mm-hmm. guess, is so beautiful. Um I kind of want to. Oh man, I wanted to jump to another scene here. Let's do if it. You would, if you'd allow. Um, the just what we're talking about the philosophy of everything. We're talking about the title of the, of the movie, mm-hmm. The Fisher King. Yeah. The actual story of the Fisher King. Yeah. Um, and the way that Perry tells it because he's a history professor. 
He knows all of this stuff. He is a history professor, right? I think he might have been English, but one of the two. English, okay. He's yeah, he's a, he's a professor. College. Yeah. In a college there. And when they're sitting in Central Park, they're this is the first time they find them well, is it the first time? It's the time they find themselves in Central Park at night mm-hmm. for the first time. Is this when and, uh, Perry's naked? I think Perry is naked, but Jack is not. <laughs> right. And Jack just refuses, and he's about to leave, but he ends up coming back and just laying there to cloud bust yeah, with, yeah. <laughs> with Perry. Which is great. Uh, which is a real thing and was really weird uh-huh. and hilarious. And orgone energy. Check out stuff they don't want you to know if you want to learn about orgone energy and cloud busting. Um, but Perry tells tells Jack the entire story mm-hmm. of the Fisher King, and it really is exactly the movie, just in... It's the the whole movie is right here in the Fisher King that exists within the middle of the movie. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really beautiful. <laughs> um and I think that's even the name of his manuscript that mm-hmm. Jack digs out right in his uh basement um sort of oh. boiler room apartment. What's his name? Henry Moran no Henry. Oh, like his real name? Yeah. Mm, I can't remember. Oh man, I thought it was Henry Maybe I'm wrong. That whole sequence H- was Henry great. Sagan. Yeah, yeah, Henry Sagan. Yeah, when he when he first discovers, uh, and again, it's right just like clockwork at that thirty minute point in the movie when he yep. discovers that Perry was uh, was in that restaurant that night that it was <sighs> shot up and he lost his wife and you know that's where the hero's journey begins. That's where he knows where his knight's quest shall lie, even though he doesn't choose to accept it immediately. Like that's the big oh. sort of thread of this movie is Perry is. He is the knight that is accepting any quest, and Jack is the knight that refuses to accept the request that's so obvious right in front yep. of his face. But he does, yeah. begrudgingly, because he thinks, again, that is where his salvation will lie. Uh, and in fact, it does, but it, he has to come by it honestly. Yeah, you're right. Man. I thought one of the most fun parts of this whole movie, too, was uh, how Jack is thrust into this world of... Uh, these mentally ill people, <laughs> homeless people, mentally ill people, whether it's in the hospital or like out on the streets uh, in like New York's version of Skid Row and how he he clearly fits in better there. That's where he's most like <laughs> sort of happiest almost, even though like in his mind and, you know, th- these would be his words. He's just like among a bunch of, of loonies. But mm-hmm. uh he he ends up when he you know he, when he gets his his career back and he's a rich guy again um he he's not happy and he even yeah. says like i keep why is it the everything i have and i still feel like i'm missing something and or then when he's idea. most at home again and happiest is at the end of the movie when he's when he's leading the chorus in the uh in the institution in the, and all these yeah. men singing it's like it's such a great moment and you know it, for better or for worse it's a very dressed up Hollywood version of mental illness uh, yeah, that is sort of light and fluffy. So we don't want to well, like ignore that, but it's a fairy tale. It's what this movie is. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of problematic things with it, but at the heart of it, I mean, I, I think, and you know, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the heart of this movie, it feels like there's a, uh, a true appreciation for the situations that many, many people that it's depicting find themselves in. Yeah. I think he's saying they have value. Yeah, absolutely. And the hardships 
you know, being being kicked out of a facility because there's mm-hmm. no money, because like the someone who cannot get help simply because the the inst the institutions of the state or local level or the federal level aren't providing things yeah. for someone who's unable to you know provide for themselves. Um, and again, it just kind of ripples through all of this all of this movie from the punks that yeah. show up at the very beginning or to, to burn them to the alive. You, yeah. Brutal. Uh, yeah, they call them, I think they called them punks in the screenplay, but the, the evil sons of bitches. Uh, and then to, to the fleshed out characters that are very much, you know, tertiary characters that exist within this world, uh-huh. but they're so amazing. Yeah. Can we just for a second talk about, I think, I think he's, I think he's labeled as the cabaret singer. Michael Jeter. Oh my God. <laughs> man. Oh my God. A revelation, this man. <laughs> Perhaps. And Michael Jeter is a great actor. He yeah. was a very special guy. He was, he was one of the few um, openly gay actors mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Um, and at a time where you didn't kind of do that stuff, uh, he was, He's most well known, I think, for many years on the uh, Evening Shade TV show with Burt Reynolds, which I never really watched that much. But I know Michael Jeter as as this guy, and yes, and the scene. I mean, all he steals every scene he's in, but the the scene where he goes and sings to Lydia in the office is <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. It Lydia. Really <laughs> well, even the way he. When he's going in in the high heels and he's just sort of running through the office and he hangs his coat on the one guy and he goes, Lydia, Lydia Barnett this way. And, mm-hmm. and he just, uh, it's, he so, looks, it's so great. He looks, I mean, he, he's got tags on all of the costumes that he, or pieces of the costume that right. he's wearing. He's got yeah, the, all these balloons it all. <laughs> and, and he just, it's pure joy. He just goes for it to this entire I think it's a publishing house of some sort, or at yeah. least an imprint of a publishing house uh-huh. in the middle of New York City in this <laughs> giant high-rise building. <laughs> and he's singing to her about how she's won a free membership well, at like the video spot. Which is so ridiculous <laughs> that uh, that a video store would send a guy <laughs> to an office. But it's, it's like it somehow works in this movie. It's so great. And the other the other part I loved was before that happens, when he's first getting to know Jack. Yes. When he's sitting in his lap like a baby, oh, like he's sort of God. cradling him like a little baby, and he's talking about how he used to do summer stock, and yeah, <laughs> it's just but there's, so good, dude. The the movie does this thing where it hits you with truth. Oh and yeah, it does it a couple of times. It does it right in that scene, and then almost immediately after it, uh-huh. it does it with Tom Waits. Um, oh yeah. And so so Great first cameo. so so first just just to hit. Um, our, our cabaret singer's character yeah, here. What's his name in the movie? That's bugging me now. I think I was looking at MD, IMDb and I th- I looked at Michael. I think it says homeless cabaret singer for Michael Jeter. That's oh, what so they didn't even give him a name. Didn't even give him a name. Um, and I wonder if it if oh yeah the yeah, character right. got bigger in the movie or something because Michael Jeter was so damn I mean, good. He does kind of steal the show, <laughs> <laughs> really. So, but we're in this moment where. They're at the hospital because Michael Jeter's character, you know, needed help. They found him, I think, in the dirt and in horse crap, mm-hmm. and he was just crying for help. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Perry and Jack take him to the hospital, 
and they're sitting there, uh, like you said, um, I'm just, Michael Jeter is laying across Jack there, and Jack <laughs> says, when you, uh, did you lose your mind all of a sudden, <laughs> right. or was it a slow, gradual process? <laughs> but he but he doesn't say it like an asshole. No. He says it very he really tenderly. Yeah. Yeah. And because he's feeling himself also uh-huh. you know, interacting, like you said, with with. Well, he thinks he's losing that, his mind. He thinks he's losing mind. He's interacting with people that society would say are mad right. or are you know out of their minds, um, and he's just kind of wondering where that line is and what's the truth to this. And he he just kind of sits there for a moment and says, "Well, I'm a singer by trade." He talks about <laughs> summer stock. Yeah, I could do gypsy every part, yeah. back, forwards and backwards. <laughs> then one night, right in the middle of singing, funny. Suddenly it hit me. What does all of this mean? Yeah. And then, but he hits you with the truth right here. And he sits up when he, like, he kind of climbs up Uh and he says, that plus the fact that I'd watched all my friends die. Yes, dude. And the the truth of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. And it doesn't have to say anything Mm -hmm. to explain any of that stuff. No. You understand and you get it. Yeah. If you're Um, a living human that pays attention. (laughs) Yeah. And it does that. All the time in this movie, yeah. where it'll it references something in regards to a character that they've already established or they're establishing um, with these little things. Yeah, what was the Tom Waits one? That was an, another good one with him, dude. And that great Tom cameo Waits one. where he's he's sort of. Uh, do you have the quote where he's? I've got the whole thing here. Yeah, he's, yeah. He his character is disabled veteran. Yep. They're in Central Station. Yeah, I think it's outside of Grand Central Station. Grand Central, yeah. And um, he's, you know, he's got a cup out and he opens the line with something. Did you hear about Jimmy Nichols? He got picked up yesterday for pissing on a bookstore. Uh-huh. And then he's talking about anarchy. It's like, it's social anarchy when people start pissing on bookstores. And what happens is, as this is all happening, he's he's conversing with Perry. No, he's I talking can't remember. to Jack because Jack is is upset because they don't even like make eye contact with him, and he's like, that, as, as long yeah. as they pay, they don't have to look at me or something like that. Well, yeah, and I think that's something Jack begins to notice throughout. Again, like part of his arc there, so he watches a woman make eye contact with him and put change in, and then other guy just throw change. Yeah, as he's going by, and he's just like, asshole, didn't look at you, and he just he says that he's paying. So he don't have to look. Yeah. Which then mirrors back the way Jack had been trying to handle things. Right. And it, it just like goes in these cycles. Yeah. Of um, re- not repeating, I guess repeating in a way, but each time it repeats a little lesson or something like this, we get a little more light on the subject, a little yeah. more of the picture. Yeah. And it is related because it, it that kind of harkens back to the beginning when the very beginning when Jack is in the limo with David, with his agent, David Hyde Pierce. Yes. And he says, uh, you know, the guy's asking for money. He is what difference is a couple of quarters make anyway. Yep. And and that thread is like very tied up very nicely later on. I mean, the screenplay, like I said, it is very by the numbers, but in the most mm-hmm. perfect ways, yeah. everything is tied up just so neatly throughout the movie. And this message that, these people have value is there uh, without hitting you over the head with it. And in fact, that's what, um, that's what drives Jack away at the end for his ultimate redemption is he's in the office getting pitched 
this sitcom about homeless people, but really fun homeless people. Oh yeah, and it's called Home Free, and that's why he oh. finally snaps because he he identifies with this um these people that uh, society has turned their back on now. Like they're Dude. his people in a way. It's really interesting. It really is uh, Home Free. I remember it cringing so hard. I know that was, that was an actor that I recognized his face playing that. Yeah, one off. He's uh. He's been in stuff. There were a couple little cameos like that before they were super famous. Kathy Najimy early on. Oh, in the, the, the polka dotted dress yeah. video store. She nailed that. Yeah. With, oh. the, with the, and of course that scene uh, has the patented classic Terry Gilliam fisheye lens yes. shot, which you know you're going to get in any Terry Gilliam movie. And the way well, they if do a it character is, so is drunk uh-huh. or, or go like yeah. a little off. <laughs> And um, Jack is wasted. Yeah, he plays such so a good drunk too. I meant to mention that. Um he plays it really realistically, I think. The way he talks and that whole mm-hmm. sequence where he's drunk and then goes to oh, yeah. goes to, you know, jump off the uh bridge with his cinder block <laughs> cinder block shoes. Yeah, man. Dude, that whole thing with Pinocchio tied up there. Yeah, that's a that's just a thread through the movie too. Who's given to him by an extremely wealthy man, man's son, uh-huh. who is arguing with a homeless man. And his son and gives it, him the doll. The son almost, I can't tell if the son thinks that maybe he too is homeless or yeah. needs help, but I think that's what it's saying. And the kid just sees a man who looks like he needs help, and uh-huh. he gives him the Pinocchio doll. Again, we're mirroring everything, people. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's just this, the innocence of this kid just sees what he sees. There doesn't have to be any kind of motivation behind it. Yeah, and then that doll is is paid forward uh, because that's what he ends up bringing. Well, first of all, he tells Perry he can keep it when yeah. he leaves the boiler room, but then it comes back later, and he brings the doll to the uh, to the hospital when he's sort of, mm-hmm. uh, I guess they call it a coma, but it seems a little more like catatonia. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, really quickly, just because you mentioned the video store uh-huh. thing and we're talking about Kathy and Jimmy, can we? I, there's one line in there uh, from Jack. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. You know that line, Chuck. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the crazed video customer again. Uh-huh. That's how IMDb <laughs> calls it. Here, here, here we go. What I'm in the mood for is a sort of Catherine Hepburny, Cary Granty kind of thing. Nothing heavy. I couldn't take heavy. Something zany. I'm looking. I'm looking for something zany or something modern would be fine too, like a Goldie Hawny, Chevy Chasey kind of thing. You know, funny. I want to laugh. I want to laugh tonight. Really. Oh, do you have anything with that comedian? Oh, he's the one on that show on the radio. Um, you know the guy who says, "Hey, forgive me." I get such a kick out of the way he says that. He's so goddamn adorable. That would be perfect. Did, did he make a movie? And then... <laughs> yeah, the Jeff Bridges gives her some porn. Ordinary says, peepholes. Yeah, ordinary peepholes and says, this is more of a big titty spread cheeky kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love it. And she's just traumatized. Well, and the other what, thing, it's funny, it's very sly, but the other thing that little exchange does is it indicates that not only did uh, that person do a TV show, but then they went on to do a movie and that's where Jack would be. Um, yep instead of working in a video store. And by the way, does this movie not make you miss video stores? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a love song to video stores. Like every yeah. meeting is in the porn room. 
<laughs> like every closed door and you meeting, don't even realize it you don't realize like it. at first <laughs> yeah until the one guy is in there and she's like get out of here what do you what do you what do you want just take this story what do you want story here yeah, take exactly. this it's one like three things and there's so many scenes that sort of just kind of dumb recurring bit of the the video boxes falling and that yeah. happens a couple of times with lydia and uh, perry and then at the end <laughs> When uh, Jack and Anne come back together and they're kissing and all the boxes fall oh. down on top of them. I know. But man, it really makes me miss walking around a video store looking at those boxes, man. And yeah. it's nostalgia, I guess, because it's so easy to stream something. But man, it was great. It was a social scene, you know. It was people vying for the same thing. It was mm-hmm. it was checking that blockbuster cart of things that were returned but not shelved yet. To see if the movie that was not on the shelf was there. Yes, exactly. Because you're excited that yes. it, the excitement of not knowing whether what you want is going to be there. Yeah, um, it's almost like I don't know. Hmm. Deny the possibility of being denied something is a human thing that's been lost in a lot of ways. Oh, you know, like you you don't. There is no chance. I mean, very few things aren't available to stream. I guess suppose there are some. If you're really yeah. going to go deep into some weird like little known art house movie, but yeah. generally you can get whatever you want, whenever you want it in the, in a second. And uh, the possibility of racing to that store because you and your friends are like, Oh dude, we need to watch whatever. Like, is it going to be there? Yeah. There was something dude. about that that was exciting. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And just thinking about the fact that this movie now you, all you have to do is start a free trial of a thing that most people already have. To, yeah, to she didn't this. even have a uh, she didn't have a v, uh, VCR. <laughs> yeah, Lydia doesn't have a VCR. He said, "Well, you're going to get one. No problem. It comes with a VCR." <laughs> Aunt slaps. <laughs> um, real quick, the, you know, she mentioned Catherine Hepburn, and that just reminded me of one of my favorite lines from Michael Jeter when he's t- sitting in Jack's lap and he finally just sighs and goes, "Why can't I be Catherine Hepburn?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. <laughs> so great, oh. man. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure, 
To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee, sounds perfect. Uh, so maybe we should talk about the Red Knight for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, when you first get that glimpse of the Red Knight, it's so awesome. So Terry Gilliam. Like, this is a pretty straight-ahead movie for him, but he still has his flashes of Gilliam-esque, you know, fantasy. And the design of that Red Knight is just fucking amazing. I wrote down a... Looks so dis- good. Yeah, it looked incredible. I wrote down a description, if you, would, if you wouldn't mind me just saying it yeah. as he... Uh, and holds up. Like, it, it looks no less cool, like, t- oh, 30 years later or whatever. Come on. Uh, incredible. And well, there, there's more to talk about with the Red Knight. Uh, I just wrote down when he when that when we first get him after Jack starts to try and talk to Perry about yeah. his other personality, who he used to be. Yeah, he triggers we, the PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote down full metal armor, helmet, horns, flames emitting from his head, <laughs> wields a sword, tattered flags draped behind him. They look like blood and sinew spray from a shotgun blast. Yeah, but a moving still image. He rides a crimson horse with black armored garments. The horse expels smoke from its nostrils. This is truly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's scary. And I think that's one of the things that he had to do for this movie was to make it genuinely scary and those scenes to be genuinely scary and really um, upsetting for the viewer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it couldn't have been any like like less scary and had the same impact. But, you know, I never thought about how it is a symbol, a symbolic thing of, of the man who killed his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I always thought of it that way. I was like, Oh yeah. So that's the stand in for the fear that he has the PTSD of yeah. death coming and loss. But at the same time, the, the red and the way, again, I think it's something to do with those tattered flags that kind of envelop the red uh-huh. night and the way they flow it looks very similar to the scene that we are that we get in the moment when Ro- when Robin Williams character Perry gives up when he's back at the bridge mm-hmm. and he just he gives in to the sadness to the pain to all of it when the red knight shows back up with those guys those same guys yeah and they take the switchblade to him um, I, I realized that because in, in that moment you actually for the first time get to see his wife get shot. Yeah. And you see the way her head, her brains, her blood and everything splatters directly onto his face. Yeah. And something about that image, it just, uh, it's so symbolic of the way the red knight flows. Yeah, I mean that was he that was his manifestation of his PTSD and that yeah. and you see that in his uh in the boiler room when he has drawn it out. Yeah. Um every every image of the red knight that he's drawn out has that it looks like a head exploding. It looks like blood yeah. splatter or blood spatter coming out. Yeah. And then it all ties up when you see how it really went down and that's Yeah. and that's how it manifested itself. It's so creative and and smart yeah. the way they did that. I think I just never got it in my younger. I don't think I do either. Like as fully as yeah, I did this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, dude, the the shadow on the wall in that same scene where they're under the bridge again, Perry's mm-hmm. like giving up. Uh, the shadow of the red knight on the wall as the punks show up in their jeep. Yeah, they've got 
weapons. Yeah. It, it's just gorgeous and just awfully terrifying. Um, I Oh, man, that whole sequence where, what is it? I think Perry says, he's afraid of you, Jack. I think it's pretty early on uh-huh. when they see the encounter of the Red Knight and they're chasing the Red Knight through Central Park. Um, and you get to watch in slow motion as the Red Knight is uh, galloping just beyond the trees where uh-huh. you can't really see him. Yeah. Yeah. You, he's just out of focus. He's just out of view. Um, that makes things, you know, I think we talked about this before, but not fully being able to see makes it so much scarier and so much, um, more intense. Yeah. And the excitement of chasing that the childlike excitement that Perry had knowing that something was happening to where his fear was, was running away for some reason. Um, yeah, and it, it was, it, and he does say it's afraid of you, Jack. And what he's saying is that you're the one who can heal me. Like you can yeah. literally chase away my PTSD uh, through through your eventual selfless act. Mm, yeah, like I think Perry knows that Jack is capable. That Jack doesn't know it. Yes, but in a weird way, and just tell me what you think about this. The guy, the actual killer. Uh, what was his name? Edwin. His yeah, name was Edwin. Edwin. He was essentially a follower of Jack, a big fan of Jack, yeah, someone yeah. who could be controlled by Jack right. in all likelihood and was controlled by Jack. Uh-huh. Um, the man the man believed Jack's words so much that he went out and he committed a mass shooting because mm-hmm. of Jack's words. And in this weird way, he... Edwin would have been afraid of Jack. If Jack would have told him a different thing, mm-hmm. if Jack would have guided him in a different way, he probably would have gone that way. Yeah, which is funny. I never really thought about it till just now, but it's, he's also mentally ill. Edwin is. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the undercurrent of mental illness through this whole thing and the, and the different representations of it is really fascinating, I think. Well, yeah. And, and the question it asks a couple of times, including the one where we get to see Tom Waits, and even Jack in the beginning and a couple other people is who are really the mentally ill within our society? Right. Is it the slightly more eccentric people who actually, you know, who that we're seeing representations of in this film, or is it, you know, as, as the disabled veteran says, again, that's the character name. Is it the person going to work nine to five, the person spending all of their time and money, or all of their time and efforts for someone else's dream. What are they actually achieving? What are they getting with all the material wealth that they're finding through those, mm-hmm. uh, through those endeavors? Um, like what does, what does any of that mean? And isn't that person crazy or isn't that person at least off? Cause yeah, society says it's right. And the thing we should do, but what's right about that? Yeah. And you could even make the case that Lydia is a depressive agoraphobe, um, kind of clearly is. And then, you know, she has the the way that she and Mercedes rule their relationship and the way that that oh. is played is so great because, you know, <laughs> Mercedes rule initially is like, who's this Lydia? Who's this Lydia? She's kind of jealous. Then she finds out, but she's still not. Oh, yeah. Like we totally should help them. She's kind of like fighting it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your membership for, you know, for a year and they're, they're kind of going at it in the video store. She's like, and then it costs me money. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it costs you two ninety nine per rental. Yeah. 
and you know they have this whole sort of tete-a-tete and then end up at the apartment together and that scene is so great when they bond they finally oh. start drinking and the, the line where it turns is uh she's trying to give lydia confidence and she does so by saying you may not know this about yourself but you can be a real bitch. <laughs> yeah. And Lydia hears that and she's kind of like, I can? Like, <gasps> oh my God. Like, because that gives her power. You know, it's not a derogatory really term does. in that sense. It's like, what she means is, you can be a real feisty person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I loved that scene. Uh, and especially when we cut away from essentially that moment back to Perry getting his um, his pants staples suit tailored <laughs> yeah <laughs> in quotation marks that giant baggy linen suit <laughs> yeah it <laughs> was really great uh but but the moment when the the guys come back to the apartment and just discover them clearly tipsy uh-huh. on tequila and having entirely too much fun yeah it's great um the energy from that moment forward in that scene that we already went over at uh-huh. the Chinese restaurant is just glorious. Yeah. And sort of right before that, I wanted to point this out is, you know, Jack has a very small, small line and moment where it's clear that he's fully kind of turned into, um, accepting Perry and all, all of the other people as real people and people yeah. with value is when, uh, and he doesn't make a big deal about it, but Anne says something about this moron, and he goes, he's not a moron. And that's, he defends him for the first time to Anne uh, as not like, oh, I'm trying to help this crazy guy. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's not a moron. He And the, ex, the, the ellipsis is he's a man with value and he's a man who was a professor and who had something taken away from him because of me. Like, that's all said in that one line. It's just so beautiful. Ugh. Love that part. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the Grand Central Station waltz. Okay. This is this is the elephant. I didn't realize this was, this was the elephant. To me this is the 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 shot and the sequence of the movie and and one of and and I'm not being hyperbolic here. I think one of the great iconic New York movie sequences of all time mm-hmm. is cuz that room is so iconic and yep. if you've ever stood in that room it's just you, you can't do it ever again without thinking of this. Every time I stand in that room, the main uh, hallway of Grand Central Station, I can only think of people waltzing. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, a room that's always impossibly crowded because yeah. it's such a hub of, of trains, of commuter trains and subways. And to be able to even logistically pull this off with 400 extras waltzing from, I think they shot it from like, you know, nine or 10 at night to 5 a.m. when the trains reopened. And they, they're like, there's how much time you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very incredibly difficult thing to pull off. And the way they set it up is so beautiful, like her sort of weaving through the people. And it's not this, it happens gradually. It's not this big thing that's all of a sudden happening. You see just a couple of people dancing behind her. Yep. And, and when you first see the movie, you're like, what was that? And then more people are dancing and more, and it builds and builds with the music. And then you get the crescendo of that big, wide overhead shot with the mirror ball, and it's just fucking perfect. It, it's I got it's chills. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. the The sea of humans moving as one in yes. that iconic space with our two protagonists, um, or at least our or the the person we're following as the hero in that moment, Perry, just enchanted, not even noticing. 
mm-hmm. that all of this is happening around him. Yet it's in just, his mind, you know. This is one of the, mm-hmm. the fantasy aspects of the movie where it's not based in reality at all. Yep. And he's they're still sort of bobbing through the people. And, and then the way they get out of that scene, how it just mm. sort of rushes all yep. back to normal. It's just, it's it's so masterful. It's one of my favorite sequences in a movie. It feels like something in a movie now you'd use uh, special effects for. Absolutely, you know? dude. This this was these were real. These were four hundred people, yeah. nuns and sailors and business people and Hasidic Jews and you know mm-hmm. homeless people and they were all dancing. You know, men dancing yeah. with men. Yeah. It was just. Uh, and if, in fact, I think the first people you see are two men waltzing behind Lydia. Yeah, and she comes in with nuns. And a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I never noticed that before. I wonder if that's symbolic in some way that I just didn't realize. I'm sure it has something. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, like you said, the representation of of couples that are just dancing or just people who are dancing together. Um, they do that. They do that same thing a couple times in the movie with um, Perry and Jack joking about men with men in a couple of scenes and like. That when they're naked together, like essentially just saying it does not matter. That's what, to me what the movie says the entire time. It does not matter who you're with. It doesn't matter, you know, yeah, what your orientation or any of that stuff is. It's just love. In the end, it's love, and that's it. Well, because um, the Jeep guys are using homophobic slurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jeter's character is is clearly gay, and Jack is like mm-hmm. crad- cradling him like a little baby. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's another message. There's so many sort of subtle messages that I didn't really, as a 20-year-old, pick up on mm-hmm. uh, with valuing the homeless and mm-hmm. uh, and the message about uh, being gay and being accepted. It's, yeah. it's really a sweet, sweet movie. It is. But uh, this is the thing I wanted to tell you. Oh, dang it. I've lost it here. The one scene, according to according to an interview I was watching on the YouTubes, the one scene that was not written by Lagravents, um, the writer of the screenplay, was that Grand Central Station scene. Yeah, and you know the? Did you see what the original scene was? I I remember it was similar, but it was not. It was in a different place, right? It was a big yeah, crowd. Yeah, I mean, it was it was also a scene that could have been very sweet and symbolic mm-hmm. in the in that same way. Was I think that they were going to be on a subway, and this yeah. homeless black woman starts singing this really beautiful song that like people aren't really noticing, but Jack really locks in on and has a special mm-hmm. moment. And that could have been a nice scene, but I think the story goes is that it was at grand central and uh Terry Gilliam there when they were scouting was up on there. You can get up on the top steps and sort of look down from that angle. And he saw that big sea of people and he said, what if they just started dancing and waltzing wow. and, and were, and everyone was in love and he was like, what a sweet scene that would be. And he said, that's the only thing that he changed. And and it was a big change. I mean, as far as logistics and cost, like, uh, I'm sure a pretty expensive, tough thing to pull off. Yeah. Compared to the but, first iteration. But what a vision to to be able to see it yeah. and make it, you know, make it happen. So <sighs> Perry ends up in his coma which really sets up that final leg of the redemption so well. I mean, it's a movie that's close to two and a half hours long, and mm-hmm. you could make an argument that that last 20 minutes you could have done another way, but I think it's a richer movie because of it, with the silliness of breaking in, with getting that chalice, 
with uh, Perry, which ends up being like a, a trophy or something. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You know, it's the symbol. Um, uh, you want me to tell you what it said? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down just because I, I found it so amusing. Uh, it says, to little Lanny Carmichael, uh-huh. for all his work, <laughs> P.S., like public school, 247, Christmas pageant, 1932. Christmas pageant, that's right. But what you also get, because they do it this way, is he uh, he saves the old man's life. You remember he that does. great little newspaper headline, Thwarted Burglary Saves uh, like Accidental Overdose or whatever. Accidental Suicide, Thwarted by Night Prowler. <laughs> It could have been spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, too, you know? I think that's the play on words. But um, uh, one of the things I love so much about how they do it is that you get Perry in that catatonic state, and Jack comes back, and there, there's that moment where he sees Lydia and realizes she's been going there. Yeah, dude. One of the most brutally sweet and sad parts of the movie is that this man that she had one kiss with uh, this like homeless guy that like right afterward sort of loses his mind with PTSD and goes into a catatonic state and she's been going every day. Like she's his wife. I know dude. And it's uh she talks about lime sheets. Like I brought lime sheets for yeah. him with watermelons on them. Yeah. And I just need to make sure they're clean. And, and they're like, yeah, they were dirty. There's like a hypo. There was a problem with a hypo and the doctor. Yeah. And all, all she is concerned about us whether or not he's okay. This well, yeah. guy, like you said. And when you see him, he's, you know, stands out against all those white bed linens and white and white pajamas with his colorful stuff. And it's because of her. It's really a great moment. And, uh, and underplayed. Like it's not, he doesn't make a big deal about it as a director. I think it's just sort of there in the background. And, and Jack is sort of hiding from her. You know, he didn't want to be seen yet. Can I jump around for one moment here? Yes, sir. In that same moment where we where we get the cabaret singer talking about why can't I be Catherine Hepburn, all <laughs> yeah. of that, where they're in the hospital, <laughs> Harry, as he does throughout the movie in many scenes, is trying to get people to sing with him. I like New uh, York in June. <laughs> yeah. I like New York. Okay, I can't so sing it, but, but he's trying to get all of these patients to sing, and... um. This guy says, I'm in the wrong place. He's in a straight jacket. And Perry says, aren't we all? Yeah. And then uh, there's the whole time you're getting this shot. There is a person who looks comatose in the foreground, very close to you Mm -hmm. in. And I can't remember if he's in focus or not, or we're in focus with uh, Robin Williams and everyone, but he's got a terrible head wound and he's just, he's taking up most of the frame, just sitting there staring at you this whole time. All this is going on. And, Perry's trying to get everyone to sing. And then uh, Perry goes over to the person in, in the foreground and just kind of like looks at him like it's your turn to sing. Yeah. And there's the perfect pause and there's no cut. It is the perfect pause. And he says, don't hold back. Yeah. And then he just keeps going. <laughs> That's one of the great Robin Williams moments. I mean, I think he adhered to the script pretty faithfully, but there are a few moments where Robin Williams is Robin Williams. Uh, that and the... Uh, Oh, I got a hard on for you the size of Florida. <laughs> it's so Robin yeah. Williams. And it yeah. kind of annoyed me. Rod, Roger Ebert in that same review made an argument that Robin Williams is best when he doesn't do movies that are made for Robin Williams. And this movie was made for him and he's better when he doesn't do that. And I'm like, man, he's great all the time. Like he's great in Dead Poet Society and mm-hmm. movies where he plays against type a bit because he was a great actor. 
but he he's also one of the great comics of our time. Oh yeah, and so let him be Robin Williams. There's nothing wrong with that, Roger Ebert. Well, I I couldn't agree more. And the reason why it's so important that he has that dichotomy, those two things going for him at all times, is that scene you're talking about. The, a crass line such as "I've got a hard on yes <laughs> uh, for you the size of Florida" is followed by, "But I don't want just one night." Yeah. And then he he tells you uh, about the rest of the stuff, and he he goes down to, um, I love you, I love you, and I think you're the greatest thing since spice racks. Yeah, which is silly. <laughs> That's great. But and, and then he says, and I've been knocked out several times, uh-huh. and if I could just have that first kiss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's never more together than he is with her that night. Um, she yep. is his redemption, and you know he has a great line where he says, you know, we just met, made love and broken up all in the span of like 30 seconds. Uh, when she's saying of like how bad it's going to go there, they are each other's redemption. Jack and Perry are each other's redemption. Anne and Jack are each other's redemption. <laughs> I love redemption stories. And this is it all over the place. It's redemption time. You know, it's great. It's like, it, it's not too much. It's really not too much. Oh, uh, well I, then, you know, we end with the, the great uh, callback to the, when they're both naked in the park. <sighs> That, yes. that great final scene when Jack has his clothes off and, and just that sweet conversation they have and the way they end it with the buildings lighting up and the fireworks is just, it's just such a celebration, I think, of people and people helping people. The way it ends is just so uplifting, I think. Yeah. Jack says, hey, look, they're moving. Am I yeah. doing that? <laughs> yeah. are, he's like, are you crazy? It's the wind. Oh, Shoot, that's the, the, that's the thing that happens throughout the whole movie. The times when Jack <laughs> speaks to God yeah. or does a throwaway to somebody else he's thinking about, and, and Perry's just like, like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? <laughs> that is really great. That's a great effect that that has. Yeah, that's wonderful stuff. Because <laughs> like just, Jack's the one that's crazy all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. It just makes you feel, it really does make you feel good and you know they're like a lot of the movies we've been looking at from the 90s uh, together chuck it does have some problems with uh you know just some of the terminology some of the things that tries to tackle um some of the views like i mean it does the whole movie nothing would happen in this movie if it weren't for a mass shooting event right yeah so there are tough things to look at in this movie and Mm -hmm. ways to pick little things apart but i think overall the intentions behind it behind the writing behind the direction Mm -hmm. behind the performances that you get it just ends up being this beautiful picture of what caring about other people looks like yeah and and how to do it and yeah can't buy your way uh, out of it yeah and all the riches in the world and all the success in the world doesn't matter if you're not living uh, your best life Mm-hmm. You know, and he and Anne coming together in the end is so great. That scene where she's doing all the talking, she's like, "You can't do this. You can't just come in here and just stand there and make me do all the work." Uh, and he's just like a little kid. The thing is, uh, you know, I, I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> she shuts. She shuts the door to the porn room. She's like, "I didn't again? get that. <laughs> I didn't quite get that." It's just run that such by a great me again? moment. Mercedes Rule is just. So great in this movie, man. 
God, she deserved that Oscar. <laughs> he, he gives her the flowers in that moment. Yeah, and I wrote down, I wrote down <laughs> flowers. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. She's so great. And so real. Like, I want to think that he got his success and she ended up with that great apartment and uh, mm-hmm. they ended up together and, and lived next door to Lydia and Jack, you know, or uh, Barry. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's how this movie oh, ends boy. in my mind. <laughs> it really does. They all just live together. Maybe they maybe they move into the castle. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. All the, Everybody together, happily ever after. So I, good. Dude, so good. And I don't want to keep going back. We, we need to take off. Of, and I know we have to end here. We're talking forever. And I would talk about this movie a lot more. <laughs> uh, there's a scene, just quickly, there's a scene where Anne appears to be having a conversation with Jack. Mm-hmm. And she's berating him, just like, like, I made this lasagna. I'm waste. You're a waste of good lasagna. I, mean, yeah. I did all this. I'm cooking. I'm doing all this. And you get that lovely pullback where, oh, you realize she's yeah. just talking to herself <laughs> or the absent uh, Jack. Yeah, she's having the conversation. She can't really tell him off in real life like she wants yeah. to. And she wants to so many times. But in the and end. he deserves it. She, he does deserve it. Way, he completely deserves it. But. To her, there's something like we keep talking about that's deeper, that's moving deeper, and she cares about him more than he hurts her. Yeah. Which is tough. Again, it's like it's a tough thing to tackle, but yeah. Jesus movie does it. Good stuff, brother. Man, we always have great talks about these movies, Maddie. I couldn't agree more, man. I don't know why. This is one of my favorite things. one of my favorite things to do dude <laughs> me too so uh do you have an idea of the next one or you gotta ruminate oh lord i i i don't unless right. you want to do something off the wall like nicholas cage style <laughs> like like any nicholas cage have you seen some of his recent stuff that's like more borderline horror like man i saw mandy, mandy. Or yeah, but you the and color I, out of space we're the sweetheart guys we got to talk about <laughs> these fun movies i think we should do something else from the 90s okay Let's let's stick in the nineties. Doesn't have to be ninety nine. Uh, we can go go anywhere in the nineties because it's an interesting dichotomy. Because uh, I, I'm seeing these movies in college, you're seeing these movies as a kid, but somehow mm-hmm. we, you know, I think we're like minded folks, so it sort of works uh, in an interesting way. I think. Dig it. All right, I'm I'm gonna look in the early nineties era just to see if there's something there. All right. Um, when was Good Morning Vietnam? Have you already done that? Have not. Great movie. I, I I mean, we don't have to stick with Robin Williams, but that movie um, affected me pretty heavily as yeah, a kid. Yeah, same. And and it's like a it's a drama, but it's also just got such comedy to it. Uh oh, I'm feeling like we might have to do it. I, I'm going to think a little more. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do a Robin Williams suite. <laughs> uh, we don't have to. I just, uh, man, he's one of my faves. So th- there's no shame lo- in that. He looks. A lot like my dad, or I should say, my dad looks oh, really? a lot like Robin Williams, especially in this era in the in the nineties. Oh, interesting. Um, and I had this thing going on. I don't know if we ever talked about this here, but I like saw my father on screen, and my father was an actor and a director, and he did a lot of these things. So every time I watch Robin on screen, a part of me sees my dad. Wow, and it's this weird thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it it works. <laughs> it makes me happy. That's awesome, man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good seeing you, my friend. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we look forward to Maddie coming back. Right, everybody? Right. Yeah, sure. Get out of here. See you, brother. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Bye, everybody. 
Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.